Empires. We want you to be in control above all else. <clears throat> Father, that when we struggle, when we go through life, and we put ourselves or someone else on the throne that is your throne in our lives, God, that we have no vision in our lives. We have no ability to do the life that we want to do. We struggle and we do not seem to overcome obstacles because we are the ones who are in control. Father, this morning we're going to change all that. We want to put you back in control of our lives. We want to put you seated on the throne. No more lukewarm faith. No more lukewarm Christianity. No more Eastern Christmas. No more going to church just to make ourselves feel better. But Father, it's about you. And our lives need to be about you more than anything else. Father, I pray this morning that we would want you to be the ruler of our lives. And a really good way of starting to do that is to be able to go to you and confess any sin or mistakes or brokenness or selfishness that's in our lives. So let's just take a moment right now, each of us individually, to go to you and confess those things. Let's just do that now. And Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and forgive us that we struggle and we put ourselves in front of you and we put other things in front of you. God, forgive us for that. And Lord, we thank you that we are able to come this morning and that you love us far more than we love you. And we thank you that even the mistakes that we've made, that you still love us, the mistakes that we made, we can still be right by you, and the mistakes with the mistakes that we made, that you are even able to turn our lives around and have them be incredibly successful in your way, have them be credibly meaningful, Father. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just help us do that, that your Holy Spirit would just wash over us and over our lives, transforming them into the image that you desire them to be. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I did an impromptu poll this week and I found out that with my schedule being sort of crazy over the last uh, two months and me not showing a video clip, that all of you like video clips. So I'm not going to show a video clip this morning. I break my promise to a couple of you because I've got to get my schedule back around. It's actually very schedule intensive to do that. But since so many of you like the video clip, I'm definitely going to start uh, redoing that. It is really cool. Um, it just takes some time. But next week we'll do it um, because I already got the clip lined up. And uh, so we'll definitely do that next week and start there. But anyway, uh, we're going to go ahead and start with our series this week on worship and talk a little bit about worship. It's been about a year and a half since we've done a series on worship. And so we're well overdue for talking about worship. And we're going to find this morning that worship is critical for us if we want to live our lives the way that God designed us to live. That in fact, worship as we're going to talk about this morning, really doesn't have anything to do with just kind of coming to church and going through the motions. So we're going to talk about this morning, worship has a much more significant and important role to play in our lives. Okay, our series is, oops, we forgot God, right? And I know if you're here this morning that you're like me, there's been times in your life where maybe things have been going really good and you just totally forget about God. 
or there's struggles in your life and you just forget about God and, you know, or you come on Sunday and you're like, hey, hey, Jesus, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then on Monday, you're like, well, this coworker of mine, and then insert using God's name in vain, you know, and then on Tuesday, you think, God, why didn't I get that promotion? You don't love me, blah, blah, blah. And we forget about God in our day-to-day life. But the problem is, is that if we want to be fully committed to Christ and we want to be fully focused on His plan for our lives, it is not sufficient for us to say, oops, we forgot about you, God, because that's sort of like, you know, oops, leaving your kids at the mall, which I've never done, but it would be the same thing, right? How many of you have done that? Don't confess, but uh, if you have, you know what it's like. Oops, we forgot God. Actually, I forgot my daughter one time in the car for like three minutes. But that's about the worst I, I've done, at least, at least at this point. Oops, we forgot God. So here's our series. We're going to be talking about probably for four weeks. I know this is in the bulletin, two weeks, but I feel like I'm going to go four weeks on this one. Four weeks on the centrality of worship. How worship has to be central in our lives. How worship has to be the foundation of who we are if we want to be in Christ and we want to be really not a lukewarm Christian. Here's our strategy. Our strategy is this. Today we're going to talk about how the centrality of worship how God has to be central in our lives. Next couple of weeks, we'll talk about in our church, in our community, stuff like that. But today, we're going to talk about in our lives. Let's just go back to January 1 when we did our State of the Church Address, and we talked about our theme this year. One of our major themes this year is what? Being a lukewarm Christian. So here's the thing. You might be a lukewarm Christian if you only worship God on Sundays. By the way... That's a good indication that you are on the lukewarm side of things rather than being on the faithful side of things. If your worship of God is only once a week or less, it's a good sign that you are on the unfaithful side of things. We're going to change that today because we're going to talk about how worship and God has to be central in our lives from a really cool passage. All right, we're going to see what the Bible's answer is to this uh, centrality of worship. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, some of you may remember uh, this you may have heard of Exodus 20 before. It's kind of a famous passage, and uh, we're going to talk about only one aspect of it, but it's a really important aspect. Let's see what the Bible's answer is here. Exodus chapter 20. You want to go and open your Bibles there. It'll be up on the Jumbotron as well, but Exodus chapter 20. All right, here's what the Bible has to say. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Now, who knows what passage that comes from? Ten Commandments, right? Very good. And so this is just the opening of the Ten Commandments. Well, (coughs) we did a series on idolatry about a year ago, so we're not going to talk about the idol aspect here. But we are going to talk about this aspect of worship and the centrality of worship. By the way, let me just mention something. If you keep up with popular culture, you know that if you were to take this passage and you were to go down to um, the Great Mall and you were to show this passage to the average person there, what would they say the the Christian, (coughs) the Bible's view of God is? What do you think people would say? What does culture say about this part of the Ten Commandments? 
It says that what? God is what? An infant, childish, mean, abusive, jealous, petulant, right? That's what it says about this. We're going to talk about this morning why that's not true if we understand it in context. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about this issue of centrality of worship here this morning. First of all is that we must put God first in our life. It is absolutely critical that God must come first in our lives. And there's a reason why the Ten Commandments being a covenant between God and man and, and really the first major, well, the first major covenant written down in the Bible. Um, and the reason why it is written the way it is is so that we can understand how we can worship God, how we can know God. There's some principles in there that we're going to talk about. We must put God first in our lives. Here's the thing. If we make anything other than God foundational for our lives, we will not be successful. If we make money the foundation of our lives, if we make other people the foundation of our lives, then our, our lives will be built on something that doesn't last. It will be something built on something that's not eternal. We have to put God first in our lives. Now, let's talk about this because when it talks about worship, it is critical that we don't just simply say, oops, we forgot about God for like Monday through Saturday, and then we suddenly remember God um, on Sunday, because that doesn't really work. Again, you can't say, oops, I forgot my kids, you know, for a whole six days. Um, you can't say, oops, I forgot my spouse for six days, although someone's tried to do that, and it doesn't work, does it? No. So worshiping God, this issue of worshiping God, it is rooted in this covenant. But let me just start here by saying worshiping God only comes through covenant with Him. Now, what does this mean? <coughs> Sorry, I was, microphone was dead in the first service. So I have to use my voice. It's a little rough this morning. <clears throat> Worshiping God only comes through covenant with him. Well, what does this mean? Well, let's talk about what a covenant is first. What is a covenant today? We don't use that word very commonly today. But what is the most common covenant that we experience, all of you experience, day-to-day -day basis? What's the most common covenant that we encounter in our world today? 2010, what's the most common covenant? Marriage. Very good. That's right. Marriage is the most common covenant that we experience. And what happens is two people come together and they promise to be as one. They say until death do us part and all that sort of good stuff. And supposedly it's supposed to be, they're supposed to mean it, right? Until death do us part. Now here's the trick about worshiping God. Let's start with this in, in Exodus 20 because he says, then the Lord God gave the people all these instructions. I am your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Some of you may say, well, you know, I hear God, I, I, I can't get over this jealous part. Why should we worship God? Why should we even do that? Worship means to show value to something. It means to privilege something better than ourselves. Why should we worship God? Well, when God wrote this covenant, by the way, if you've ever noticed in your Bibles, if you notice that the Ten Commandments are set apart in your English and probably other language versions, like a poem. Have you ever noticed why that is? The reason why this is is because this is a treaty in the ancient world. It's a different type of literature than the, than the other parts surrounding in the Bible. And God starts this way. He says, listen, I, the Lord your God, have rescued you out of the land of Egypt. Why do you think God starts the covenant by talking about what he's done? Well, let me ask you a question. Let's assume, who shall I pick on this morning? Shane. Kirk's not here in the second service. We'll pick on Shane. Let's assume, Shane, that when you were getting ready to get married, you could do one of two things. You could have, A, selected a mail-order bride from Russia who you knew nothing about, or you could have selected Jennifer, who you've known for several years, and you trusted her, and you believed in her, and you felt like she was a very good uh, woman who was a woman who loved God, 
If all things being equal, who would you choose? And by the way, for us men here, I, let's assume they're both equally good looking, okay? So we don't have any issues there, all right? Who would he choose? Would he choose the person that is the mail order bride that he knows nothing about? Or would he choose the person whom he knows is trustworthy and faithful? Let me give you another example. Of course, we know he didn't. We, we sent the mail order bride back to Russia, right, Shane? So we're good, right? Okay, that's just kidding. He didn't do that. Okay, but let me give you another example. Like, I have a house in New York because I wasn't able to sell it when we moved out here, right? So every year I have to go through finding a renter. When a bunch of people call me asking me about renting the house to them, what do I do? Do I just randomly pick someone or do I actually look back and see how they were a renter before? Do I see how they were in the contract, in the covenant that they had with other landlords in the past? Of course I do, right? Because I don't want to get someone who's going to tear up my house. I want somebody who in the past has demonstrated their faithfulness and their goodness in the past. Why does God start his contract with people about himself? Because he says, I have proven myself to you. I am the Lord your God who led you out of the land of Egypt, out of your slavery. Now, some of you may say, well, pastor, that's, uh, does that apply to me? Because I wasn't like literally in Egypt. Well, it doesn't because this is a covenant that God made with the people of Israel. It's not the covenant that God made with you. Okay, so that's a different covenant. But God established his covenant based on what he's done. He says, look, I have done this for you. Again, you know, if it comes time to find someone that you're going to have a covenant with, then you want someone. Okay, if you're single, let me just give you a suggestion. You want someone who has proven themselves in the past, not someone who is, you know, mail order bride from Russia that you go to Ellis Island and sign the green card on, right? That's not really who you want. You want so- nothing against mail order brides. Okay, just, just so we're all clear here. But what you want is you want someone who has a track record of being faithful. You want someone who has a track record of being successful. And by successful, I don't mean financially successful. I mean successful at keeping their covenant. Listen, we can love God and worship God because he has been successful in being faithful to us from the beginning. God has never abandoned us, nor does he plan to abandon us. Now, here's the thing, though. Let me mention this. This is one of the foundational principles of worship. And I need you to understand this right here, which is this. Worshiping God only comes through covenant with him. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is, is that a person who is not a believer in God cannot truly worship God. Now, some people say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How, how can you say that? How can you say that someone who is not a believer cannot worship God? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when God established the covenant, he said that this covenant is going to be established, I'm going to establish it, and it's going to be me as your father and you as my child, and the covenant is going to be until death do you part. This is the kind of covenant I'm going to establish with you. But people out there, those people who reject God, have no covenant with God. Because they have no covenant with God, they can't really worship God because they don't really know what kind of worship he wants. They don't really know him. They just have heard of him. They know about him, but they don't really know him personally. You know, when it comes to pleasing and doing something that's acceptable to my wife, I know better than any man what my wife finds pleasing and acceptable. And let me say, I don't really know much about my wife because she's a woman and I'm a guy. And, um, you know, Rex, you could just, I think we're good. You, you can let that one go. 
I think I think we're good. Um, and so what happens is is that is that I know more about her than any other man. Although again, the mystery of the woman, I know very little. Uh, but as as it goes, and so when we know little about God, it's impossible for us to worship Him. Worshiping God only comes through a covenant with Him. Let me even mention one other thing more. The Bible uses this idea of God being a jealous God, right? God being a God who is someone who is jealous and angry when we reject Him. The covenant that God is speaking of here is the covenant with His people. The only time God gets angry or jealous is when His people who have promised to worship Him don't worship Him. Is God jealous or angry with people out there who don't worship God? No. You know why? Because they don't have a relationship with Him. Their relationship with God is one-dimensional. Let me give you an example. When I was in seventh grade, there was a girl that I liked in, in I was in middle school, I guess, uh, a whole lot, okay? So I didn't have like really good, what we call social skills or anything like that. And uh, I didn't really know how to go steady with her. That's what we called it back then, you know what I mean? And uh, so just to protect the innocent or the guilty in this situation, we'll just call her name uh, Su- uh, Susan. And um, so I would try to follow Susan around and I would try to say, you know, Susan, will you go out with me? Will you go steady with me? And some days she would be like, you ugly toad, get away from me, you know, and, or whatever. That's not what she said, but something, you know, mean. And then other days she would be a little bit nice and allow me to carry her books or uh, be her menial servant for a couple hours until she kicked me to the curb yet again, right? And so that's the way my life was like in seventh grade. It's the same way with non-believers, Because in a relationship with people who do not have a covenant relationship with God, it is a one-directional, one-dimensional relationship. God pursues them constantly, desiring that they would have a relationship with them. And some days they sort of acknowledge God's exist, and other days they just use God as the end butt of their joke or their profanity or whatever the case may be. It is a one-directional, one-way relationship. But if you have a relationship with God, if you have committed to Him completely and have covenant with Him, then you're right. The Bible does say that God is jealous and angry when you love Him not and reject Him. Hey, let me give you an example. I did singles ministry at a large church. It was a lot of fun. If you ever become a pastor, I highly recommend doing singles ministry because you go to the beach every single weekend and it's a blast. Okay? But that's not what God called me to do, so I'm here. So... Here's the thing, one of the things, though, about singles ministry. One of the things about being single. You know, if you're single guy, single girl, and someone asks you out, right, and you go out to Barnes & Noble, uh, or you go out to Great America and you have fun, um, and the next day, uh, another person of the opposite sex calls you up at work and says, hey, can we go to coffee this afternoon, just talk about stuff, and that sort of thing, and all you did was go out and have fun, you know, totally PG rated, should be, you know, on first date, and... um you're, the guy that you went with, the girl that went to seize you with this other person, they go, what are you doing with this other person? How could you go to Starbucks with him? Right? We would think that was like creepy, right? Over the top, creepy. We would think it would be creepy, right? Because you only just went out one time. You, 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 only, you only went to Great America. That's all you did, right? I mean, maybe you like this person, but now you don't anymore. Because it was creepy. If a person is jealous or angry there, it's weird and probably not appropriate. What if you start dating this person for like a year? 
okay? And because we want to be biblical and godly in our relationships, we're kissing the person, but that's it, okay? Kissing, you know, holding hands, you know, that level of intimacy, being godly in that way, okay? But then you, as you're driving around town one Saturday night and your, your girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, says, I can't, can't go out with you tonight. I got, uh, I got to wash my hair for the girls. Got to wash my hair, right? And, uh, you're driving around and you see her going dancing with another guy. What happens then? Well, do you have a little bit of a reason to get a little upset? Maybe, right? Yeah, because you feel, what, kind of betrayed. There's going to be some anger, jealousy. Now, in our world today, she could just say, well, hey, I'm a free agent, man. It doesn't, you know, and then, but you, okay, do you want to marry this person? Probably not. What happens if you marry this person? They say, before God, I do, and then you find this person is out dancing with someone the opposite sex. That's a problem, isn't it? There's going to be anger and jealousy. And by the way, is it deserved? You bet it is. Because that person committed their life to you and you alone. To you and you alone. And because they, hopefully, they love you, they want you to be solely committed to them. You know, God is, because He's living and because He's a person, because He has feelings, that when we treat God as if He's just sort of our last opportunity you know, he's our back burner boyfriend or our back burner girlfriend after we've made a covenant with him. Absolutely, he is angry and jealous because he loves us and he doesn't want to be treated the way we're treating him. And by the way, no one would want to be treated that way. You could tell me all day long, oh, I'm in an open relationship with my spouse. I mean, I know it's popular today, but that's baloney. Come on. Nobody really enjoys that. It's just miserable on the inside. God loves us so much that when we covenant with him that he wants us to be faithful just as he has already been faithful and that when we are faithful to him that we enjoy the abundance of his blessing and his goodness but it only happens when we worship him and we're faithful to him so worshiping god only comes through covenant with him second thing real quickly is that we can only worship god as he reveals it to us now what does that mean what that means is is that we can only worship god in the way that god says you can worship me this way. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Now, what is one of the common things that we hear about in our society? You cannot say, and you probably heard people say this before, I worship God in my own way, right? Everybody tells me that. When I invite a lot of people, when I invite them to church, they're like, well, I worship God in my own way. You know what that means? Honestly, it means you just don't worship God. You know what? Let me give you an example. I can say to my wife, you know, hey, honey, um, for your birthday, um, you know, I'm going to celebrate your birthday by uh, walking around in my underwear all day, not getting you card, burping and belching regularly, and just generally making a, a boob of myself walking around the house and not buy you balloons or a cake or anything like that. I'm keeping it real, honey, and I'm letting you know in my own special way how much I love you. Will that work? Okay, everybody get the idea of me walking around the underwear. Out of my, it's horrible, right? Just gonna kill that one real quickly, right? Let it just run the other way. But whatever, right? Because it would be terrible. That doesn't say I love you. That says I'm a slob and I hate you. That's what it says. You cannot say to God, I worship you in my own way because that basically means you don't worship God. It means you're just doing something to please yourself. Hey, you know what? I, you, you guys know I don't usually watch a lot of TV. I mean, you know, my average is probably 
not even an hour a month. But uh, this week I happened to see a TV show, and uh, or part of one, about 20 minutes. And it was one of those reality shows. You know the reality shows where, you know, and they make conflict in the reality shows so people are always fighting and you feel, you know, you know, you can choose a side or whatever. So there's a, there's a reality show with a bunch of conflict between two families, okay? And in this reality show, the one dude was like, that had a bunch of daughters, and then there's someone who was conflicting with him about being a dad and that sort of thing. He was like, I keep it real, man. I'm all about keeping it real. Keeping it real is what we do. And so he used that every time the other person confronted him about his behavior. He was like, I'm just keeping it real, man. Now, I'm all for being authentic. I'm all for keeping it real, so to speak. But as the camera was panning around, you know, because it's a reality show, camera's panning around, right, and is catching the people as they're arguing. Okay? National TV here. For a split second, while he's arguing with the person, you see him reach over and touch his daughter inappropriately. Oh, yeah, it's very clear. And they knew it because they panned away immediately. I mean, they did it, and then they tried to get out of the shot completely. And when I say inappropriately, I'm not talking about G or PG. You just keep on way up the way up the scale there. But he's keeping it real, right? Because keeping it real for him is not being authentic. Keeping it real means I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do. That's what that means. And we say about our worship and our relationship with God that we're just going to do what we want to do because it's pleasing to us. But if we love God, we will find what pleases God and we will do it to him rather than doing it to us. Again, when it's my wife's birthday, if I want to please her, I'll do something that she likes. Which, by the way, does not include walking around the house belching and not buying her a birthday card. Okay? That is not what pleases her. If I really love her, then I will do something that pleases her because I love her. So don't tell me that you do your own thing. I worship God in my own way because that, my friends, is just baloney. Just like I'm keeping it real is just baloney too because he just uses that as an excuse to be abusive, incredibly abusive to his child. Uh, it's not what pleases you that makes worship real. It's what pleases God. If we were honest for a second and we went to the average church in America, the average church in America, people would do what? The average church in America, it's if you just look at the average person, it's what pleases them that makes church real. It's what pleases them that makes them go to church. It's what pleases them that they'll do. You know, I don't read my Bible because it doesn't please me. I don't pray because it doesn't please me. I don't come to church because it doesn't please me. I don't give money because it doesn't please me. I don't do the things that God asked me to do because it doesn't please me. You might be a lukewarm Christian if you're more about pleasuring yourself than being loving towards God. It's not what pleases you that makes worship real. It's what pleases God. So here's the thing. Second idea real quickly is that we must value God above all else. Real quickly here this morning. We must value God above all else. Listen, when we give, when we worship something, we are giving value to it. I know friends of mine and family members who worship money. You know how I know that they worship money? Because they value money over everything else. If, if, if pushed to the limit, they would choose money over something like family or God or whatever the case may be. They, and they value money. You all know, everybody here knows someone who values money over something else. When we worship God, we are saying that we value God above all else. That we're putting our value in Him rather than ourselves. 
The Bible is calling us that if we have a covenant with God, if we make this commitment to have a covenant, then we must value God above ourselves. Why is that? Well, because God deserves that value and we don't. He's not broken. He's holy. He's perfect. He's complete. We are broken. We struggle. He's proven to himself before we ever existed how much he loves us, how committed he are is to us. He's already laid the groundwork. He's pursued us. All we have to do is simply accept him and commit our lives to him, and then we value him over everything else. All right, worship is not a ritual as much as an attitude. Are you guys sleepy this morning? Everybody seems really tired. Chuck, I think you need to put the AC on like 40 degrees to wake us all up here this morning. It's Chuck, oh, Scott, if you could do that. This freezes out. All right, worship is not a ritual as much as an attitude. Here's the thing. For most people, most people take worship as being a ritual. What do I mean by ritual? A ritual is something that we go through, something that we do. We define worship as what? Coming to church, praying, well, really bending over, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, um, giving money, um, you know, serving occasionally. We, 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 we count these actions that we do as worship, but most of the time, for the average person in America today, Worship is not a ritual as much as it is an attitude. Let's talk about that. Worship begins where? It begins in our hearts. It begins with our choosing to love God. It starts with us. Let me ask you a question. If I go and I get a birthday card for my wife and I give it to her, but I don't love her and I don't care about her, how's that birthday card going to go over? She could tell, can't she, right, that there's no feeling, there's no emotion there, there's no love. Listen, what makes you think that you can fool God into just kind of coming to church and doing the average thing when you don't really love him in your heart? Now, this may not be true of the average BBCer, but I'll tell you what, it's true of the average churchgoer in America today because it's all about ritual and not about relationship with God and knowing him and loving him. Worship begins in the heart. You know what's funny? Let me ask you guys a question while you're waking up here for the second second set here. Why are there little or no prescriptions for worship in the Bible? What do I mean by that? Well, if you ask the average person out there in the street, they will tell you, if you say, well, what does the Bible say about worship? They're going to say, well, you got to go to church. you got to maybe get baptized, take communion. Um, you got to do, you know, you got to kneel the right way. you got to do this. you got to do that, you know. When do I kneel? When do I get up? When do I do this? When do I do that? But the Bible, if you've actually read it, has almost no prescriptions for worship. The, the Psalms, David's book, is probably the most, the, probably the book most focused on worship. And yet there's no prescription in it for worship. Why is that? Anybody know? Why is that? That's right. In fact, David's Psalms are all about his love of God. That's what it's about. You can give your wife a card for her birthday, but if you don't love her, it don't mean nothing, does it? It don't mean anything. And so what happens is, is that we can get baptized a hundred times. We can take communion a million times. We could go to church even once a month. I mean, that's really pushing it, right? But in the end, what it comes down to is our relationship with God. How much love. The Psalms that David wrote are clear. It's about how I love God. You know what? You know what's hard? 
You know what? Let me tell you hard about doing this, first of all. One of the hard things about being a pastor and speaking is application, because everybody wants more application in their messages, and application is difficult for most pastors to do, because everybody's different. What I, you know, what I tell CJ to do in his life, you know, I can't tell Jen to do in her life, because it may be very different. They might have different application, different needs. But you know, this is where application really becomes very difficult. How do I tell you to just love God? How do I make you do that? Can I nag you enough to do that? Can I, I can nag you to come to church, but I can't nag you to love God. I can't do that. Can your wife or your husband nag you to love them more? Does that work? No, it doesn't. Right? And so it's impossible for me to nag you enough to get you to love God. David had the secret in the Psalms, which is what? He just had to simply love God. You have to choose to do it. Whatever your reason is, however you get yourself to do it, I don't know. But knowing that God loves you first is probably a good place to start. And then just desiring to love Him. Just asking God, can I love you? Can, can you be my God? That is an awesome place to start. Why are there, you know, the Bible doesn't say on the third Sunday of the vernal equinox, you're to worship me by getting down on bended knee on one, on your right knee and clapping with your left hand on, you know, There's none of that in the Bible, right? Why is that? Because it's about knowing God. Even the sacrifice in the temple, you know, that was designed not to be ritual as much as it was to point to Jesus as a sacrifice. But even those rituals, even our rituals of baptism and communion, even the rituals that we do, those rituals only have meaning when we love God first. Otherwise, they are just hollow acts that we go through that have no meaning. Just hollow acts, like giving cards to people that we don't care about, you know? Have you ever had to sign a card for a coworker that was leaving and you really didn't like the coworker at all and you had to figure out what to put, right? Oh, yeah, Gr- good luck in Alaska, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right? That's the problem. You know... Finally, real quickly, as we finish up here this morning, an attitude of worship transforms into an action. You know what, you know what makes people do stuff? Is when their heart wants to do it. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, as a married guy, my wife can nag me to do stuff. You know, I can go through the motions. But when we have a difficult season in life, it is my love for her that will get us through the tough times. Not going through the motions, not just doing what I think society wants, but because I've chosen to love her above all other people on this earth. That makes it possible to change. That makes it possible to act. That makes it possible to do. If you're made to do something, you won't do it. You know why BBC is the way it is? And some of you may have wondered this. BBC is a really weird church, if you haven't figured this out yet. You know why? Because we don't nag people to give money. We don't, I don't nag people to volunteer. I don't really nag people to do anything. And we don't do that. You know why we don't do that? Because if I nag Joe all the time to come on and help me do something, Joe's only going to do it because he's nagged, manipulated, feels bad, or guilted into doing it. That's the only reason why he's going to do it. But if Joe decides in his heart that it would be awesome for him to do something for the kingdom, then he'll do it because he loves to do it. He'll give because he loves to give. He'll love other people because he loves other people because God called him to love other people.
You know, people that give, people that serve, people that do, people that work here at BBC, they do it because they love God. And you know what? That's the reward and that's the kind of person that God wants in His kingdom. Not the person who's guilted in to do it or doing it because it's a social service, but because they love God first and foremost. Yeah, that means we may not be the richest church, we may not be the biggest church, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that we're running the race so as to win it. That's what matters. What matters is that we're doing life the way that God desires us to do it above all else. That we love Him and our attitude of worship starts with knowing Him. Listen, nothing will transform your life like worshiping God. The more you love God, the more you will be able to make the changes that you want. You can't make the changes, some of you, in your life now because you don't love God first. You're just trying to make the change. You're getting nagged by your wife. You're getting nagged by your boss. You feel bad because of what you're doing. You're trying to change the outside. But you can't change the outside first effectively without changing the inside first. A lot of people that I meet from other churches, uh, especially those who are in unhealthy situations, you know what they're like? They're like cake. You know what cake is like? My, my son loves cake because, you know, cake has the icing on the outside and then the useless stuff in the middle. And he just eats the icing on the outside and just leaves the cake behind, right? We all have, you know, we all seen kids like that. They all do that, right? And so because the ice is the best part. And you know what? There are so many people who call themselves Christians who are, they look successful on the outside. They look happy on the outside. They have a nice car on the outside, as one person told me this week, even talking about someone that he knows. But they hate themselves on the inside. They hate themselves on the inside. You know why? Because they're going to church and doing a ritual. And they don't have a daily worship of God in their day-to-day life. They don't love God. You might be a lukewarm Christian if you don't love God in your day-to-day life. And by the way, if you line up on that side of the fence, the Bible's not really sure where you're going to go when you pass from this world. What does the Bible say? Again, it says that there will be people who say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I do rituals in thy name? Didn't I go to church Eastern Christmas in your name? Didn't I give money in your name? But God's going to say what? I did not know you. You didn't love me. You didn't have a relationship with me. I did not know you. That's what it comes down to. Knowing God. That's what God wants. Our heart. It's that simple. My wife wants my heart. God wants my heart. Friendships. Our friends, they want our heart. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. It's about how we love those people. My friends, today you have a decision to make. Whether your life is going to be based on ritual of worship which, by the way, is largely meaningless, or whether your life is going to be based on you loving God. I can't tell you how to love God because you're different than me. You can read the Psalms. You can hear about how David read love God. But you just have to choose today to love God. You just have to decide to love Him. There's times, you know, in my in my life where there's people I'm supposed to love that I don't. it's hard to have the feeling for. You know, there's days I wake up where I don't necessarily feel like I love my wife or sometimes I struggle with feeling like I love my kids. But I choose to love them. Because I do love them. And that love is what enables me to be, hopefully, a good father and a good husband. Not because I do all the rules, but because I love them first and foremost above all else. So here's the question. Are you willing to love God? Are you willing to put Him first in your life, make Him king? Or are you going to just keep on doing the dance where God's, you know, oops, I forgot about you this week, God. What are you going to do? Decision's up to you. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we just ask this morning that we would be able 
to be committed to you, that we would be able to follow you, that we would love you, Father, and that we would worship you. Lord, again, worship means showing value to you and that I pray that everyone here would be able to show value to you more than anything else. They wouldn't show value to people or possessions or objects or anything more than you. Father, it doesn't start with us having a ritual. It starts with us actually loving you, caring about you. And Father, we just ask that we would be able to do that. Lord, we do love you. We do commit our lives to you. We're happy that you love us so much that you are a little jealous when we uh, run away from you. And so, Father, we, we love you for that and for your faithfulness to us. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.